Is Richard Head not the sexiest roadie in the business? Richard, how long have you been going to church here? And I just realized that your name is Richard. Never mind. That's never clicked in my head, the first and last name combo there. Welcome to Action Church. (laughs) Can you believe it is the last weekend of January? That like the first month of 2023 is over. That means all those life-changing memes you posted just four weeks ago, you're already thinking about reposting this December. It means those resolutions that you had are mainly already broken by now. It means that fresh start that you thought, man, 2023 is going to be your year. And so many people are right back into the routine of the same old, same old. My question is, are you breaking those trends? I saw something this week, and I thought this was staggering. I didn't think the number would be high, but I didn't expect it to be this low. It said 1.7% of people will keep their New Year's resolutions. 1.7%. That's staggering. It just shows my watch is going nuts here. I forgot to turn it off. Hold on. Doing a Google search on New Year's resolutions. It's going to be a good Sunday. Mike's duct taped up till the new one comes. I can just feel the Spirit of the Lord in here. It's going to be amazing. 1.7%. It shows that there's no magic that happens from December 31st to January 1st. There's no magic cure that happens when the year rolls over on the calendar. The reality is if you want to change your life, You can change your life at any moment. You just have to make the conscious decision to do it. But more importantly, you can't just make the decision to do it. You've actually got to put in the steps to do it. Talk is cheap. And so we've been looking at this cat in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. And if you don't know real quickly, I'm going to give you the the 60-second version of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. That means he sipped the wine before the king did. If it was safe, the king drank it. He runs into some friends from the old town. He said, hey, how are things back in the hood? How are things back in Jerusalem? He really didn't care. I believe that with everything that is in my heart, he was making small talk. They looked at him and they said, things are horrible back in Jerusalem. The walls are torn down. The people are in distress. There's no way that we can revive the economy because we cannot protect ourselves. We cannot secure ourselves. We cannot decide what is imported and what is exported. We cannot protect ourselves from our enemies because the walls around the city lie in ruin and the people are frustrated. Nehemiah hears this. He's not the first to hear this. He hears this. He becomes depressed. He becomes upset about it. He begins to have a burden in his heart about going back and rebuilding the wall. Now, he's got a cush government job. He's working for the king. And a thousand miles away, his hometown lies in ruins, and he can't let it go. Day after day after day, he's replaying that speech. The Bible says for some days he wept 
any mourned, and he was upset over the fate of Jerusalem to the point that it became obvious to the king that he served. He said, what's wrong with you? And Nehemiah looked at the king and said, my hometown lies in ruins. My people are distressed. And the king asked him a question, and this is where many of us freeze in the process. The king said, what is it you would have me to do? And Nehemiah looked at him and said, if it pleases the king, I would have you to send me back to Jerusalem. To give me your blessing to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. I call that the big ask. He was willing to ask for what he wanted. He wasn't afraid of hearing the word no. Because if he heard the word no, he's lost nothing. But the king looked at him and said, you have found favor in my eyes. Return. And suddenly this very ordinary person, this cupbearer to the king... God uses them to do extraordinary things. And that's the kind of God that we serve today. God is not looking for the extraordinary. He's looking for the ordinary to make extraordinary. He's not looking for the most qualified. That's good news for us today. He's looking for those that are simply willing to be used by God. The church is the one who looks at people and says, they can't be used. Do you know about blank? And God says, I know all about blank, and that's why I'm going to use them. God takes our biggest mess, and he turns it into our greatest ministry. And God looks at this ordinary man who literally had the talent of sipping wine, which so many of you would be qualified for that job, my wife included. And, uh, <laughs> and he takes this man, and he sends him back to Jerusalem, and he rallies the people, and they begin to rebuild the wall. In 52 days. The wall is rebuilt. Amazing things are happening during this time. And God uses this ordinary man to start a project that everybody else thought was completely impossible. And we come to a point today where things are going to get a little weird. It's the end of the story. The walls are almost built. And I need to prepare you for something, and it's going to sort of sound like a repeat of last week, and that's not my intention, but it's how serious I want you to take opposition. Last week, we talked about there will be discouragement along the way. Remember, Sambalad and Tobiah came to Nehemiah, and they started mocking and said, man, if a fox climbed up on that wall, it would fall down, and the people begin to get discouraged. And Nehemiah had to rally the troops 26 days into the project. Well, today they don't try to come along and discourage the vision. They come along and they try to destroy the vision. Things are going to be a little bit weird. It's going to be a little Jerry Springer-esque today. A little soap opera twist today. There's a, a murder plot today. There's people acting in roles that they're not really supposed to be in. There's rumors. There's gossip. There's people trying to be discredited. All because a man is following the vision that God has given him. I want you to know that when you set out to have a fresh start in life, Maybe you step out and you decide to follow your dreams for the career that you've always wanted. People are going to come along, believe it or not, instead of rejoicing with you, they're going to try to destroy you. 
You're going to enter into a new relationship and you think you've met the one and you guys are committed to making it work and you're excited and you got that amazing thing called love. I've always said, man, if you could bottle up that feeling of falling in love and sell it, you'd be a multi-billionaire. Greatest feeling in the world. You think everybody's going to be happy for you. People come along and they try to discourage you. They try to defeat you along the way. Those that are miserable in their relationships don't want to see you happy in yours. We're kind of pathetic people. That's just kind of, misery loves company. Some weird stuff happens today. If, if it was a movie, this would be like where the music's like, dun, dun, dun. Like that weird stuff is about to happen. Nehemiah 6, the Bible says, when word came to Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, remember we met these guys last week. Remember, they're the bad guys. Nehemiah's the good guy, they're the bad guy. Great movie here. You got to have a good guy and you got to have a bad guy. They hate Nehemiah. You know why they hated Nehemiah? Because they were benefiting from the dysfunction of Jerusalem. The reason people don't want to see you follow your dreams or improve something normally is because they are benefiting from the dysfunction. It might be an emotional benefit, it might be a spiritual benefit, it might be a physical, it might be a monetary benefit, but there's some benefit to what they're doing and you being held down. They love it. They hate that Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. Last week they went among the people and started causing discouragement. They begin to whisper in the people's ears as they're rebuilding the wall, but of course we remember that Nehemiah rallied them they got back on track. And when they realized they could not discourage the people, they decide they're going to destroy the leader. Sebalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. So when word came to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, the wall is rebuilt now. Game-changing time for Jerusalem. They can now protect themselves. They can now decide who comes into the city and who leaves the city. They can now grow their crops without the enemy destroying them. They can practice their trade without the enemy destroying them. There's safety inside the walls. And now the walls are rebuilt. And the word has come to the enemies. The word has come to those that were taking advantage of Jerusalem that the wall had been rebuilt and not a gap was left in it. I like that last part because it's saying the wall had been rebuilt and it had been rebuilt well. There was no way to sneak in. When I was growing up, there was a ball field next to us and we used to like to go play on that ball field and it was this very wealthy man's ball field. He had built it for his kid and no one was allowed on the ball field. Except there was a part in the bright center field wall under the gate that would lift up the fence. It wasn't buried in the ground right. There was a gap in it, and we would lift that fence up and crawl under and go play baseball on his immaculate field. He said, there's no gaps left in this wall. Though up until this time, I had not set the doors of the gate. So picture this with me. The walls are set up, but the doors are not set on the gate. So picture building your house. The house is built, but the doors are not in yet. So there was still a chance for the enemy to derail the vision. 
It wasn't a huge chance because they were nearing completion, but there was a chance. And so many times in the fulfilling of your vision, this is where the enemy attacks you because you think you've crossed the finish line, but you haven't. You get close to the finish line and you let your guard down. Your goal was to get yourself in shape and lose 100 pounds and you lost 90 and you let your guard down at 90. You decide to work on your marriage and you think your marriage is going good but you don't realize working on your marriage is a lifetime thing so you let your guard down. The walls are rebuilt. You're trying to get debt free and you're close. You got that one last bill and instead of paying off that last bill you go and Spend it on something you don't need, and suddenly you've broken the seal and you forgot about the bill. Where they are. The project's almost finished, but not quite. I want you to understand this principle today. If you don't understand anything else, take a picture of this on the screen, write this down, do whatever it is you do. The closer you get to doing what God wants done, the harder your enemy will stop will fight to stop you. I don't know that the enemy gets too concerned when you start out on the vision God has given you. Because only 1.7% of people fill those resolutions. Anybody can start on a fresh start. I don't, I, I'm just convinced that we live in a day and time that we're such quitters that the enemy doesn't give a rat's but about you starting a vision. But when you get close and the walls are rebuilt and the gap is nowhere to be seen in the walls and all you've got to do is set the doors, that's when the enemy will come after you with everything that you have. When you're literally hours away for getting the approval for your vision, the enemy will come along with an obstacle. He don't care when you were talking about it, he cares now. Because if he knows if you finish and you fulfill the vision, there's no stopping you. You would think that the closer you get, the more you'd be able to let your guard down, but I need you to understand today, it's the exact opposite. It's when you've been working on your marriage and everything is going good, I like to say that's the time you ought to worry. Because when things are running smooth, you're not thinking about the enemy attacking. I'm a little bit worried that I jinxed me and Christine yesterday. You ever just wake up and, like, you just realize that life is good? I looked at her and I said, man, life is good. I said, man, I've been focusing on my health and I'm actually losing weight and I'm seeing results. And I said, financially, we're doing really well. And I said, lots of doors are opening up professionally. And I said, man, we haven't killed our kids. And I said, man, things are good between you and me. And I started listing all the good things. I thought, oh, man, that's not good. I mean, something means the enemy's about to attack. Found a piece of wood real quick to knock on it. 
Because during those times, you're not thinking about the enemy. You're not thinking about working on your car when your car is running good. It's when things are going good, you don't think about the routine maintenance that it takes to keep it running good. Hello? When you got money in the bank, you forget how it was when you were broke. You go back to bad spending principles. A lot of you are about to experience that. I call it ghetto rich. You're about to get your refund check. For about 30 days, you're about to live high on the hog like you got some money. You big baller all of a sudden. Instead of taking that money and continuing to live by the principles you have lived, and maybe it lasting more than 30 days. In the event business, they call it the refund promoters. About every March, all these promoters pop up that have been wanting to do fights or wrestling or events. They come out of nowhere, and they call them the refund promoters. They got their refund check and put on an event. Happens every single year. Got their refund check and lose it all in one night because they don't know what they're doing. When things are going good, it's easy to let your guard down. The closer you get to doing what God wants done, listen to me today, the harder your enemy will stop to fight you. You're doing something and you're working at it and things are going great and suddenly there's opposition. How many of you say I've been there? Man, I've been there. Remember last week we talked about you don't face opposition when you're doing something wrong. You face opposition when you're doing something right. For some of you, and you have shared with me, and I have loved the stories, you've been telling me how God has been moving you towards something, how you're working to accomplish it, and then all of a sudden, bam, there's resistance, and you don't know what to do. So many people, I've had about five different people recently tell me, man, we just feel like we need to be back in church. We feel like we ought to be in church on Sundays. And you decide, man, we're going to church. And this is the week. And me and my my boyfriend or me and my girlfriend or me and my husband or me and my wife or me and my kids, man, we're going back to church. You get in the car and you're on your way here and the kid vomits all over the car. You got to turn around. You didn't quite make it. You almost made it. The opposition shows up. You decide, man, we're going to have a... Marriage that is founded as God is the focus. We've been married for X number of years. We've been dating for X number of years. And and if we were to be honest, Christ isn't the center of that. And you're on your way to church. And why is it on the way to church that all hell breaks loose? That car ride into church together, man, someone's running late. Kids are being annoying. You fought all day. She, man, let's be honest. She thinks you should be a little more dressed up. And you're like, Gary ain't even dressed up. I'm wearing this. I don't care what Gary wears. You're going to look decent at church. You know, something happens and you start fighting. That's why Christine and I don't ride to church together. I don't need that kind of stress on Sunday morning. Boy, Sunday morning, the enemy loves to fight. But you're trying to put God first. I know it doesn't happen to anybody at this church, but other churches I hear rumors that stuff like that happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like you screaming and hollering, you pull in that parking lot and say, stop it, smile on your face. You get out, how's it going? It's going blessed. I'm blessed. Knowing y'all been throwing down the hotel. I can see it. 
But when y'all walk in the door and go your separate ways, we know. We know. You ain't fooling nobody. That's how the enemy attacks. How about, man, you're, you're trying to lose weight. You're trying to eat healthy. You're trying to get in that zone, and you go into the store, and Twinkies are on sale. Buy one box, get 22 free. And you, for a minute, think, is this the Lord telling me that I can have Twinkies? Is he blessing me for how good I've done? And that's just how it goes. Try to get in shape. You try to do things right. Next thing you know, it feels like every night there's some kind of gathering. And we in the South, you can't gather. and We don't meet unless we eat. Man, the enemy attacks. The closer you get to finishing, the closer you get to achieving your goals, and I don't know what your goals are today, but here's the reality you do. The enemy's going to attack, and I want to tell you some ways he's going to attack. The first thing you need to understand today is distractions will come. Distractions will come. As you're moving forward doing what God wants done, the enemy will simply try to distract you. Sam Ballard and Geshem sent me this message. Look what, look what it says in him. I said, come, let's meet together. Come, hey, I know you're working on the wall, Nehemiah. I know all you've got to do is set the doors. But why don't you stop working? Why don't you stop doing what God has called you to do? Why don't you come down from leading the people And let's just meet. Seems harmless enough, doesn't it? For a brief second, Nehemiah thought, man, I'll go meet with these jokers and we can resolve something. Let me make something clear to you. You will never resolve anything with your critics because they don't want to hear the truth. You cannot reason with jackasses. If that offends you, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. There is no more spiritual word to use. Well, my kids are in the source. Your kids hear worse on the bus. They hear worse from you. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain called Ono. Now let's meet in Jerusalem where the walls are rebuilt and there's no gap in it and it's safe. Hey, Nehemiah, venture outside the city and let's go meet. First spiritual lesson day has never taken a meeting in a place called Ono. Ever. So here we are, we see the enemy, they're like, hey, you're having all this progress. You're doing good. Just stop it for a minute, come down, let's meet. You ever had friends? This, and I, get, I know they're not bad people. But man, again, you're in the zone. You're trying to get your, your health. I'm 46. Like health's a big thing to me right now. Like my, my biological dad died when he was about 64. His brother died about the exact same age. I plan on living to about 125. I ain't got time to die in my 60s. Okay? So I want to get my health in tune. And people mean, well, it's not that they're even bad people. Here's the thing. Hey, man, let's go grab some dinner. Go grab dinner. Eat some bread, enjoy it. 
Come on, man. You're never going to eat a dessert again. Listen, I'm fat. I'm going to eat a dessert again. But instead of understanding what you're trying to do, they want to downplay what you're trying to do. You're trying to quit drinking. Man, you're going to make me drink alone? Or maybe you could function enough in society to have enough respect for them that you don't drink at that dinner. Instead, you make them think they're doing something wrong. And I ain't against drinking. Crap, I'm trying to open a distillery. I'm simply saying, see how we do that? We try to downplay people's goals. Do you really got to work that hard? That work will still be there tomorrow. People are out chasing their dreams. Oh, y'all are try, trying to have a relationship. So you, you can't go off with your friends anymore. No one you can go off with your friends, but you're just trying to manipulate the situation. Trying to cause distractions. So here we are, and the enemy says, Hey, you're rebuilding the wall. Just, just calm down, let's talk. If you were to actually study this, you actually would see that, that they weren't trying to do anything but distract him. They were trying to get him off the wall because they knew if they distracted him, do not miss this, this is so key, if they could distract Nehemiah, they could discourage the workers. They proved that last week. As you step out and do what God has called you to do, they know if they can distract you, those following in your lead will be distracted. They will always go after the initiator of the vision. You start moving, doing what God's called you to do. Your enemy's just going to come along and distract you. And here's the thing you need to understand. They don't even always use big things to distract you. What I have found out is the big things are pretty easy to overcome because I can spot them. It's the little things that come along and distract you over time. This past week, I'm working on my sermon. The temperatures are dropping. My phone and my messages are going off nonstop. Hey, is the shelter opening tonight? Hey, what are y'all doing about the shelter? Shelter's a good thing. But the greatest thing in my life at that time was getting my sermon done. I was spending time with God. I was digging through the Word of God. I don't need the distraction at that moment of the shelter. It's a little thing. Many times, do not miss this. Good things will come along and try to distract you from the great thing. Good is the biggest enemy there is of great. It's easy to tell the bad things no. It's easy to tell the neutral things no. But somebody comes along and they offer up something good and you think, crap, it's good. And you start chasing good things and you miss out on the one great thing that you're called to do. Distractions come along. You're going to sit down at your computer and you're going to hammer out that work. You're focused. And suddenly you say, man, I'm just going to hop on Facebook for about three minutes and see what's going on. I know this don't happen to y'all, but it happens to me. Four hours later, I am down the rabbit trail of something that I don't even know what it is. Literally the other day, I sit down, I'm working on something, see this little thing. I love the comedian Theo Vaughn. I saw he was getting sued by that crazy hatchet hitchhiker that's in prison. I was like, what? 
Watched a little 60-second video. Next thing I knew, I'm on the Google rabbit trail of the hatchet hitchhiker. You say, who's the hatchet hitchhiker? You've got to go down the trail yourself. Then I find out he's got a documentary on Netflix, and I'm watching the trailers on Netflix. And then that got me over there. I Google Theo Vaughn. All these clips of Theo Vaughn are showing up that I ain't seen. And I'm laughing at him. I'm sending them to Christine. She ain't laughing because she don't care. But I know Misty likes it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm sending these to Misty because I need some affirmation right now from someone laughing at my weird sense of humor. So in the group text, I'm sending it to Misty where Misty can laugh. And next thing you know, it's three and a half hours later, and I ain't got nothing done on my sermon. Little distractions. Little distractions. You got to watch out for those distractions. You know you're doing something good in life if someone comes along, something good, and says, hey, at the school there's a teacher parent board and we'd like you to build anything wrong with the teacher parent board? No. But for you, it's a time consumer and you don't have time to be consumed right now and you got distracted and you've lost focus of what you were supposed to be doing. I don't know, it could be something like football season. Mm. Mm. You get season tickets, and I love football. And suddenly, though, football becomes more important than the things of God. You invest the best part of your weekend into watching men in tight pants do something that, if you were honest, you were too uncoordinated to do growing up. Did you really say that? I said it. And you live and die by a sports team instead of doing what God called you to do. Again, anything wrong with football? Football, good. I like it. But I'll be damned if I'm going to let football keep me from doing what I feel God called me to do with my life. I always get a kick out of festival season in the fall. Like, people legitimately come up to me. Why are you putting a uh, football game on? Today's the such and such game. Do you think I build my life around a football game? You can build your life around a football game. I refuse. Good thing. But it's not the great thing. I'm glad Georgia won the national championship. Somebody say amen. I'm more glad that Ohio State didn't win the national championship. Somebody say amen. But here's the funny thing about that Georgia game. Them winning didn't put no food on my table. Had they lost, it didn't take food off my table. I still woke up the next morning and still had a life to live, a marriage to be in, kids to parent, a career to chase. So you think I'm going to let that have that much power on my life? It's a good thing, but it can be a distraction to the great thing. Some of you are so distracted by stuff. If you're you're not careful, you're going to allow good things to distract you. Got this hair on my shirt and it's driving me crazy. A distraction. Golden retriever hair. Hmm. Not a bulldog hair. Wasn't a white hair. My dog don't shed. Nehemiah looked at me and said, I'm not coming down. That came to him a second time. He said, I'm not coming down. 
They came to him a third time. He said, I'm not coming down. When those distractions come along, you've got to stay focused. When those distractions come along, you've got to be obsessed with the end goal. If you want the fresh start you were created for. If you want to live a life like everybody else lives and get distracted by everything and anything. If you want to settle for average, then settle for average. But those who live the life they were created for and they, and they win at the life they were created for do not allow distractions to come along during the way. They're laser focused. Some of you got vision ADD. You got a vision, but you're too busy chasing the squirrels to make the vision happen. Hey, let's go meet. And Nehemiah was able to step back. I think this is so key. Step back and breathe and look at the situation. Look what he said. But they were scheming to harm me. He knew what the deal was. He knew that they didn't want to negotiate. He knew they didn't want to talk. He knew they didn't want to get on the same page. They were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I am doing something fantastic. I am doing what God called me to do. I am working on my finances. I am chasing my business goal. I am working at my marriage. I had a buddy call today, and he said, man, the guys want me to go hang out tonight. What do you think about that? Let me make this very clear. I ain't against hanging out with the guys, but here was the deal. Four weeks ago, this guy and his wife were about to get divorced. They were going through some tough times, some, some inappropriate things that happened between the two of them. They're working to rebuild trust. They're working to rebuild security. And I told him, I said, the fact that you're even thinking about going out with the boys four weeks later shows me that you're already distracted. Now again, is there anything wrong with going out with the boys? No. But it wasn't the time or place. It's time or place to rebuild. It's a time to be focused. It's a time that, that, that your, your free time should be pouring into each other. He said, I feel like you're being naked. I said, I'm not being naked. I'm just telling you, you guys won't make it another two months. Well, I'm not going to go. I said, the fact that you thought you should go, or the fact that you're even feeling guilty about not going, the fact that you're more worried about what your friends are going to think about you than your wife who's sitting at home hurt because you broke her trust sells me all I need to know. Don't come to me if you want it sugar-coated. Go to the Methodist preacher for that. He said, I'm not coming down. He said, why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? He said, we got doors to set. We got a job to finish. He said, I breathe fine. I don't need to clear the air. We're good. Let's back that up. I'm good. You might not be good, but whether or not you're good is not my concern. My concern is rebuilding this wall. I will not be distracted. So they'll try to distract you. And then here's what they'll do. The second thing is your motives will be attacked. They'll attack your motives. The enemy will come along and try to distract you. And then he will come along and try to 
discredits you. When you do anything for the glory of God, make no mistake about it, the enemy will try to discredit you because if he can ruin your reputation, he can ruin your work. They'll spread rumors about you. The more you do for God, the more you do for the vision of your life, the more people will gossip about you. That's just part of it, though. I tell people this all the time. You can't have fans without having foes. So don't rejoice over the fans if you're going to gripe about the foes. I'm not an expert in much, but I'm an expert in this. I can't go out to eat without being criticized in this community. I saw, the, I saw Gary at this Mexican restaurant. Everybody knows he should have been at this Mexican restaurant. Like, I can't post any. I, I can post good morning. wonder why it was good. Probably because he's out whoring around this morning. Of course it was good. Good morning. Probably ain't even been asleep. He was snorting lines all night. Like, the rumors about me are amazing. They'll gossip about you. They'll misinterpret your motives. They'll misunderstand what you're doing. Don't miss this. It's part of leadership. Then the fifth time, Sam balanced his aid to me with the same message. Don't miss this. This is good. You'll miss this. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. Anybody see anything weird about that? Well, you see, it's weird. Unsealed. When they sent letters back in those days, they stamped them with the seal. That way, when people got it, they knew no one else had read it. If the seal was broke, no one else could read it. They sent it unsealed. Why did they send it unsealed? Because they wanted everybody who touched it to read it. They wanted everybody who got their hands upon it as they were passing it around. There was no email in this day. It had to go through 20, 30 hands to get to those people. It would be like, it was, it, was the, it was the old equivalent of a blog post. We're going to write this down. We're not going to seal it where everyone can read it. And look what it said. It is reported among the nations in Geshem. Geshem, bad guy. It's true. This is what the letter said. They want everybody to read it. It's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. They're passing this note around. Hey, we're hearing the, Let me tell you how not to trust somebody. If somebody comes to you and they say, hey, people have been coming to me. Who? I'd rather not break their trust. So they've been coming to you about me. A lot of you have done that before. What do I tell you? I don't want to hear it. I'll tell you. Tell them they can come to me. They can't come to me, then I don't care that they came to you. Matter of fact, I'm more concerned why they felt comfortable enough to come to you in the first place. Stand close, preacher! 
Don't get a lot of amens. They've been coming to me. So you've been setting yourself up on a pedestal. That's what he said. Hey, we're just hearing some things. You're my enemy. Why would you be hearing some things? Are you hearing some things or are you making up some things? We hear you're rebuilding the walls because you want to revolt. We hear you're rebuilding the walls because you want to become king. Boy, nothing could be further from the truth when it came to Nehemiah. If you get over to chapter 6, and I don't have time, you'll see he was the most sacrificial leader you've ever seen. He went to the king. When the walls were rebuilt, he gives God the glory and gives the king a Persia the thanks. He was faithful. He was loyal to the king. He had no wrong motives, but they wanted to spread rumors about him. They wanted to make sure everybody read those rumors. They wanted to come to him like they were his friend. <laughs> Nehemiah, man, I mean, he could have had financial gain, but he didn't. He could have taken food. They were offered him food as the leader, and he refused to take it until it was distributed to the people. He was a leader. He spoke on behalf of the poor. If there was anybody that it was not about, it was not about Nehemiah to Nehemiah. Yet they came along with these rumors. The more you do for God, the more people are going to talk about you and they're going to spread rumors. He said, hey, that's not true. I dig this about Nehemiah. Hey, that's not true. And he got back to work. He didn't answer the critics. He didn't justify why, because that when it became distractions. He had nothing to hide. So many of y'all get so fired up when you see people attacking me. Why don't you go comment? I don't need to comment. I know the truth. When you start commenting, what do I do? I send you messages. Don't argue with them. But there's don't argue with them. They want you to argue with them. He said, not true. The Bible says, he looked at him and said, not true. Began to pray, and he got back to work. It's funny how many rumors I hear about me. When I started my previous church, it was, he doesn't preach the Bible. He doesn't preach on sin. Boy, you ain't ever been to this church if you don't think I preach on, don't preach on sin. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet that I preach on sin harder than 90% of the churches in this town. Now, I don't make up sin like most churches do. I don't hobby horse on certain issues and miss other. I don't, I don't treat it like a buffet. I'm going to hit all of you. But then the rumors, they get better. Like, the amount of women in this community I've had sex with, like, look at me. I don't know what world you live in. There is one red-headed woman in this world who is blind and has bad choice in men. I think it is hilarious that you think women are lining up to have sex with this. I don't want to see myself naked. My favorite, though, is I fast always my favorite rumor, though. We run the largest AA and NA meetings here because I'm actually the biggest drug dealer in town. I love that rumor. And I wish I was that smart. Like, I wish I was smart enough and that cold-hearted to be like, we run NA where I can be dealing in a parking lot. 
I like it when people visit the church and they're like, oh, I thought y'all had a bar on Sunday. There's, I really ain't anti-bar on Sunday. I mean, I don't really care. I don't understand why they want to be drinking at 10 on Sunday, but I don't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But no, there's no bar on Sunday. You know what I mean? The rumors are just amazing. I love the rumors about my lavish lifestyle. You know, that lavish lifestyle. Yeah, Kyle, me, Christine, Kylie, and Betty have been going on vacation for eight years now. We've been swinging for eight years. Can he have friends? My favorite is this one, too. I like this one. He pastors that church where he can get all the money that comes in. Have you seen this place with the lights on? Like, I'm just curious what money you think comes in here. I don't say this in a bragging way, but there's been more times than not that I've paid the rent here. There's been more times than not, and I, I don't want to single people out, that David and Sierra have paid the rent here. You, you think there's enough money in here to do something improper with? That's amazing. All that stuff you see that we broadcast our services live with, it just shows up because Xander buys it. Won't let me reimburse for years, just buys it. He sees it and he does it. There ain't no money in this church. All this sound equipment and these lights up here, every bit of these lights are, are Fozzie, the rock band Fozzie's lights. They store the stuff in the building. I just go in the drawers and start hanging stuff. Hoping that they have so much that like, like Robin Hood. Steal from the rich and give to the poor. Those chairs you're sitting in, half of them came from the pink pony and the other half came from a church in Macon 11 years ago. Those tables you're sitting at were donated from a barbecue restaurant that closed down. These curtains, I don't know where they came from. I don't want to blacklight them. I know that. Like, what money do you think there is to steal? People love rumors. And here's the funny thing I always say about my life. There's some good truthful stuff out there to spread. Like, I do enough truthful stuff that would shock most people. The fact that you feel the need to make it up is mind-boggling to me. You heard a rumor about me being drunk at the brewery. I was probably drunk at the brewery. I'm just going to be honest with you. You heard me. I made a post last night about us starting a brawl at the Moose Lodge five years ago. We started a brawl at the Moose Lodge. I mean, it was Kylie's fault, but nevertheless, it is what. So I'm saying there's enough good stuff out there to spread rumors about without lying. We recently, about six months ago, had someone leave the church. I haven't shared this story with anybody. Not even our elders. I don't know why I wouldn't hide it from us. I hadn't thought about it. They actually called the police to report how we spend money here as a nonprofit. Had a police friend give me the heads up. 
He said, hey, man, don't sweat it, but just FYI. So I called the police station. I gave them the name of the company that handles our finances. Because in 10 years, I haven't touched finances here. The outside company from day one has handled every bit of the finances. I said, call them. I said, call this company. Police officer said, it doesn't matter. We're not really worried about it, man. Quit worrying about it. I said, call the finance company. Look at the finances. They kept saying, don't worry about it. Do you know why I wasn't worried about it? Because we operate with integrity in that area. The books get audited every month. Someone who isn't a, a company who isn't associated deals with that. I'm not part about it. But again, the fact that you think there's enough money to steal is amazing to me. It really just shows your ignorance. They'll spread rumors about you. You know what I heard he did? I remember when I was in Iowa, all of a sudden the big rumor was I was driving around town with this girl, this young girl. No one stopped to ask, had my sister come to visit me? It was in town that week. Then it was my sister I was driving around town with. People love to gossip. You know what I saw Christine doing? Shut up. But they're going to come after you if you do what God's told you to do, and they're going to spread rumors about you. They're going to call you a crook. They're going to question your integrity. They're going to question your motives. They're going to say it must be nice because they're going to discredit the hard work you've put in. Last and I'm done, I'm going to get us out of here early. That's a lie. You will be given opportunities to compromise. You'll be given opportunities to compromise. They're going to try to distract you. They're going to gossip about you. And then they're going to give you opportunities to compromise your vision. They're going to give you opportunities to compromise your integrity. In verse 10, we see a new character introduced. This is where it gets Jerry Springer-esque. His name was Shema, Shemiah. We're going to call him S. He was probably the temple priest. I say he was probably the temple priest because he had access to the temple. And only the priest had access to the temple. They believed only the priest had gone to the temple. And if it wasn't a priest who went to the temple, he would die. So I believe he was the temple priest. Jemiah said, let us meet in the house of God. Inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. Who was allowed in the temple only? What's the priest trying to get Nehemiah to do? Go in the temple. Hey, come on. Just come in the temple real quick because they're, they're, they're trying to kill you. Come in here and compromise your integrity. Compromise your leadership. Go against what the laws of the land say and let your people say that you're willing not to do that. Hey, it's okay. You've earned it. You're the leader. Just come on in. Compromise a little bit. You'll find safety in the temple. They won't find you here. Look what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah's a pimp boy. He's always looking at things logically. He said, I realize that God had not sent them. 
but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah, bad guy, and Sambalat, bad guy, had hired him. He was a priest on the take. The enemies had paid him to put Nehemiah in a place to compromise. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and they would give me a bad name to do what? To discredit me. They're going to come along and try to discredit you. They're going to come along and try to make you look like a fool. I think I shared you the story one time. I was at Walmart and I paid for something and I gave change. I never count my change. Shoved it in my pocket. For some reason this day, I shoved it in my pocket and I'm walking out. And I just remember shoving it in my pocket thinking it felt a little more than it should be. And so as I'm walking, I pull it out and I'm counting it and I realize the lady gave me 30 more dollars than I gave her. So I walk back and say, hey, ma'am, I don't want your register. And my stupidity, I'm not thinking anything. I think she made a mistake. I said, I don't want your register not to be in balance. You gave me too much money. I need to give you some money back. She looked at me and said, interesting. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're the pastor at Action Church, aren't you? I said, I am. She goes, yeah, I want to see how you respond if you take the money and leave or you bring it back. Trying to get me to compromise. People want to see you fall. Hey, it's okay, man, slide in that DM. Just that one time, it's, it's innocent. Meet that person one time here. It's okay. Hey, take a little bit of money that's probably not yours. It's okay. Compromise a little bit. And in one moment, you can destroy what you spent 20 years building, your name. And when they destroyed your name, it's hard to fulfill a vision. Taken me 13 years. Someone asked me one time, they said, Man, do you still deal with consequences of what happened 13 years ago? I said, I do. I said, what do you mean? I said, I still run into people who bring it up. It's not as it's, it's rare. It's not as known. But I'll deal with that for that's the consequences of my name. There's some people who will never trust me. You say that's horrible. It's just life. I I I I saw the Dana White thing. I, I don't want to get into it. You know, Dana White. Wife slapped me, slapped her back. And um, they were telling Dana White he needed to step down. He said, I'm not stepping down. He goes, what? I don't need the money. Stepping down is not going to punish me. It's going to punish this company and all these employees. I'm not stepping down. And the reporter said, well, what are the consequences for your actions? And I mean, I, I'm not saying he should have slapped his wife. It's not what I'm saying. But I had to give him respect for He said, he goes, here's the consequences. For the rest of my life, people will identify me as that. He goes, people who knew me and trusted me and loved me will have no respect for me anymore. He goes, the consequences are that my wife, who knows I've never done that before, no matter how hard I, I spend trying to rebuild our marriage, will always have in the back of his head, her head, is he going to push me to where I do this one more time? He goes, those are the consequences. He goes, I, I compromised my integrity instead of walking away. It was so refreshing to see someone own up to it. And it was so refreshing to see someone not give a false apology to a bunch of people he didn't know apologies to. Man, they'll try to get you to compromise. They'll try to discredit you. Nehemiah could have justified it. I'm the leader. I'm rebuilding the wall. I need to go hide out. But he wasn't going to compromise his word. You can have a great reputation and throw it away instantly. You don't put yourself in those situations.
to this day, to this day, to this day. And I'm not saying I got it all together, but I don't ever meet with anybody of the opposite sex without my wife knowing. Now, I have to meet with the opposite sex. It's part of my job, part of her. She got a job, it's her job. But I call her and say, hey, I'm meeting with so-and-so in this place. It's always a public place. Just want you to know. When she goes and meets with someone, she just lets me know. You say, well, that just seems like you don't trust me. No, it's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of we're not putting ourselves in a position to compromise ourselves. I've learned you don't have to run from sin if you avoid it altogether. I don't got to run if I avoid it altogether. I'll try to get you to compromise. Your enemy will come along and he will do whatever he can to discredit you, to distract you. Jameis said, let's go to the temple. They're trying to kill you. And I'm going to wrap it up right here. Look what Nehemiah said. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? He said, I will not go. What he's saying is if he goes, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. But I'm not going to compromise to stay alive. He said, I'm a leader. I'm chasing the vision God's given me. I'm not going to tuck, tell, and run. And if I do die, I'll die with a good name. Somebody say amen. That's the key. You've got to stay focused. You've got to stay laser focused. Here's the deal. I'm wrapping it up. Four weeks on this. That means we've got about 45 more minutes. God's birthed something in you. I don't know what it is. Healthy marriage, healthy lifestyle, healthy career, healthy fight. I don't know what it is. But you do. But you need a fresh start. Probably about this week, some of you started to stumble in that. Four weeks in. I've been on this exercise thing, this, this thing I wanted to do, and this was the first week, man, I almost stumbled. I did stumble a little bit, actually. I said, let that derail me. I got back on the horse and ride again. The life you want is right there for you. Go back. It's been birthed. That was week one. You planned it out week two. Man, disappointments come week three. This week, man, the enemy's going to attack you as you get close. Finish the race. Don't give up because the first obstacle comes along. Change your life. You only got one shot at this life.